Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. We're going to talk about singleness, and the title is purposely... Uh, the gift of singleness. And I say gift, as Adam mentioned, it's hard to say something is a gift when you personally don't understand the weight of, of receiving it. Um, and the one thing that we do realize is single, singleness is we've all experienced singleness and the gift of singleness, but we very rarely see it as a gift. So I want to I unpack a few scriptures um, with us. So if you want to jump in your phone or Bible... Um, or whatever device you're using, uh, head to 1 Corinthians 7. There is basically, the most difficult um, part about talking about singleness is you have the Bible's perspective on singleness, and there's two predominant passages. But the difficulty is that we, if you've read the Bible at all, you realize that marriage and dating and even women's roles at this time are extremely different than they are today. That's why if you um, you try to read the Bible and try to get some tips on dating, (laughs) good luck, there was no dating. It was like, here's the five goats for your, your daughter, and now we're married. Like, it's way different. Uh, so it's funny because I see some of these pastors, you know, they're like, we're going to do an eight-week series on dating, and I'm like, I don't know where you're going to go in the Bible because there's nothing on it. But just because there's nothing explicit on dating itself or on singleness, um, like there's only two instances, doesn't mean that there's not an understanding of God's intention for relationships and intimacy and attraction, which is why last week, if you weren't here, you should go back and listen to it. We talked the entire week about intimacy and attraction because it is universally understood that God is trying to, um, not trying, well, he's doing well, but we're trying to love him because his design was intimacy with man. And so regardless of if you're married, if you have a best friend, if you have family members, like we, design, we are designed so that intimacy, closeness, depth, love is something that we pursue. And marriage and singleness both are gifts because they both have the opportunity to steward that. Um, but uniquely enough, one of the things is actually really interesting. I did a little bit of research about um, first century marriages, which was a fascinating read, um, was the fact that they actually had a very similar struggle to what we do now. In fact, we as Adam alluded to, we kind of idolize marriage in the Christian world. It's kind of like the pedestal of arrival. It means like someone's willing to like marry you. So I guess you're kind of worth it. But if you're not, then you're not worth it. And we kind of like, we pursue that unconscious, subconsciously. Like we pursue marriage, not even really realizing it. Um, and at this culture, in Jesus' time, it was actually just as idolized, if not more idolized. However, it was idolized for different reasons. So we idolize marriage now predominantly out of, out of identity. We, we don't feel complete or we feel like we, uh, our self-worth is not good enough if someone can't choose us or, uh, you know, we start to evaluate our own selves and our status even. Uh, at Jesus' time, marriage was much more focused on legacy. It was the idea that if, at this time, if you didn't marry, you didn't have a legacy. If you didn't have a legacy, you didn't have honor. If you didn't have honor, you're basically pointless. Now, for us, that's not the lens we really look through. In fact, if you go to the Middle East, in some Asian cultures, honor and shame is the priority at which they look through things. We, Westerners, Americans, look through things through a guilt-righteousness lens. So it's all filtered around our identity and the shame or the guilt or the uh, lack of worth that we will feel around things, whereas 
this culture at Jesus' time and even still predominantly in that area is on shame and honor. And so both are different in terms of the things that we idolize for the precipice of marriage, but in reality, they're both idolizing marriage in ways that God did not intend it. So I think we need to realize that. Like we read the Bible, we're like, oh, like it's like in the Old Testament, they had several wives and then Jesus came and even then they were trying to divorce wives and it just doesn't make any sense. And then Paul gives us this long, his own opinion on marriage and, and submission and slaves. And it's just not contextually relevant. Like we just throw the whole thing out. But it actually has a lot to do with singleness. And uh, we kind of have to take it serious. So Tim Keller, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he writes a great book. Uh, it's called The Meaning of Marriage. And he does have one chapter solely dedicated to singleness. So shout out to him if you are, most marriage books do not. <laughs> um, but he says, it's kind of the pinnacle of his statement. He says, Paul, who, were, who was when we were, who were reading 1 Corinthians uh, 7, says that both being married and not being married are good conditions to be in. We should, neither, we should be neither overly elated by getting married nor overly disappointed by not being so because Christ is the only spouse that can truly fulfill us and God's family is the only family that will truly embrace and satisfy us. This is a weird place to be, and this is what I wrestle with. Next week, we're talking about the gift of marriage. Uh, it's weird to think that both are gifts because we realize we're going to have one or the other. And so it, at one, on one hand, you're kind of like, well, that's great. God's giving us a gift no matter what, like, right? Like, you're, you're a 14-year-old girl who like wants to date a boy and you're like, oh, I have a gift right now of singleness. Whether, or you're a 26-year-old male and you're single and you're like, you have the gift of singleness. Or you're 21 and you're married, you have the gift of marriage. So it, the, the, cl the clarity on this is confusing because we typically see the gift of marriage and then we're like, the gift of singleness. Like we don't equate it as a gift even near what marriage does. And the reason that we, I think, do that is because we don't even really understand like, what is, like, what is the gift of singleness? What is, the, what is the reasoning behind it? Why has God in, intended it this way for some people, whether it's for a period of time or a lifetime? And so when we talk about the gift here, it's actually the same word that Paul uses for the spiritual gifts. So if you have the gift of mercy or teaching or leadership or prophecy or whatever, like any of these gifts, right? Same word that he uses in the Greek called charisma, and there's a couple of things that, uh, that we realize about spiritual gifts that we don't always think about. Gifts can be lifelong. They can be something that maybe you've just kind of embodied your whole life, or they can be seasonal, or God can give you a momentary opportunity for something. They're also given by the Spirit to grow the kingdom and glorify God. So the gift that we have in marriage, assuming this, is to grow the kingdom and glorify God. Gifts are to be stewarded and not neglected, meaning that if we have a gift, we actually spend energy and time to figure out how are we stewarding this gift to honor God, which means we don't hate it. We don't neglect it. We don't forget about it. We don't want to get rid of it. Some gifts, even Paul says, are more flattering than others, which, to be honest, I think we feel like marriage is more flattering. But he says that if they're more flattering, that means the hidden ones might actually need to be shown more honor and be more public, which means that instead of doing a 12-week series on marriage, Maybe we should do a 12-week series on, date, or on singleness because the reality is everybody talks about marriage. Very few churches talk about singleness. In fact, I would love for you to try to find like, the amount of books on singleness and the amount of books on marriage. Half the books on singleness are trying to get you to be married. <laughs> it's like, work on yourself so you can be married. Singleness is, believe it or not, it's a gift. And the, the one thing that I cannot do is I cannot say that I understand it fully because I have not committed to a lifetime of singleness. 
Um, but the one thing that we all can grab onto is we were all single at one point, and even if you're married now, you are going to have an opportunity to love single people, whether they're like way behind you and they're way younger and they're learning how to date, or there's someone who is the same age as you, or maybe even experiences loss or whatever it may be. Like single people are all around us everywhere. So you, you can't be like, well, Trey's talking about singleness and I'm married, so miss that ship. Like that's pointless to me because it's just not. I, I, like, I like to think about like this. Think about a gift that you got, maybe Christmas, birthday. Uh, you originally didn't want it. Maybe you didn't even ask for it. And you didn't even think you needed it. But in reality, in the long run, you actually realize like that gift was genius. In, in no ways that you could have thought of. My wife, um, this is a silly example, but my wife got me a snow scraper for Christmas. She, however, didn't give me a shovel, which I didn't I realize we needed over a snow scraper. But I was like, babe, you seriously spent $10, $15 out of my Christmas budget for this snow scraper? Like, am I an adult or what? Like a snow scraper? And then a week or two later, frost hits the window, and who, I'm just smiling. I don't gotta use my credit card. I can just get out that baby. I mean, it's like, it's wide. I mean, it's like three swipes and it's gone. Everything on it. It was a gift that I kind of balked at. And so for some of you right now, whether you are single um, by choice or kind of choosing that for a long term of your life, um, either way, like you are given a gift in your hands. Uh, and if the gift is in our hands, it's, it's actually sinful of us to neglect it, to throw it away, to, um, now I'm not saying you can't be angry with God about like, why do I have this and, and asking like understanding, but it's to just kind of get rid of it or throw it away or just be mad at God is kind of like Job. If you read the book of Job, his friends are kind of trying to play that attitude. And, and at the end, God's like, he shows up and he's like, yeah, I don't really think like, do you really want to know? You really want to be God? You really know what makes the earth spin and the clouds show up and the, and the stars move, like all this stuff. He just is like, do you really like, is that really what you want to know? And all of his uh, buddies are kind of just like, they just kind of get rebuked like crazy. So First uh, Corinthians 7, I know I told you to turn there a while ago. Uh, verse 25. Now, the, uh, the, the, we're going to start in verse 25, but the rudder for this, like the most important part of understanding this entire chapter is uh, verse 7, and you don't have to turn there, but Paul says this, he says, I wish that everyone was as I am, but each has his own gift, that's the charisma, from God, one this way and another that. So this is kind of the, the foundation for what he's going to be talking about because he is saying in some instances it's his opinion, other instances we see it's kind of authoritative, meaning it has authority in our lives now. But Paul is kind of giving you his understanding of saying, I wish that everyone was I as I am I, which is single. So now we read verse 25. I'm going to jump around a little bit. We'll go 25 and then move. Um, 25, with regard to the question about people who have never married, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my opinion as one shown mercy by the Lord to be trustworthy. And then down to 32, two verses down. And I want you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But a woman, uh, or sorry, a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how to please his wife and he is divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, to be holy both in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place a limitation on you, but so that without distraction, you may give notable and constant service to the Lord. Now, first thing we got to realize in this passage when I'm packing about singleness is he is talking specifically to people who have never married. So there is a bit of 
difference here that we pull out, but the, the principles, I think, are kind of universal for people who are, who are uh, embodying the gift of singleness. Number one, he says, the gift of singleness gives you less concerns and distractions. Now, that's not to say, like, I mean, let's be honest, if you have a kid, a kid is a distraction. Doesn't mean it's always a bad thing, but it is a distraction. If you try to have a conversation with someone, I'm trying to learn this now when people ask me something and like I'm focusing on Junia, you get better at multitasking, but I'm just like useless. Like just let me do whatever with Junia and then ask me a question because I will not be present. Sarah's very good at it, uh, I'm not. And, and so we talk about the gift of marriage, the gift of singleness, like it is, it is a distraction. It doesn't mean it's bad, but it is distracting you um, from a pursuit of God in specific ways. So example is, and I just think, like, these are just practical examples, but the gift of singleness allows you to be able to move wherever. You can live a life that's, I, I hate to say it, but much more wild, meaning that, like, many missionaries actually are way more um, fruitful because they're single. They're versatile. They can go to places that are maybe a little more dangerous. The second that I married my wife, I felt a burden that it restricted about half of the places that I would want to live, you know? Like, or now we have a kid. Like, we got to think about, is our neighborhood safe? Is you know, is there a crime around? Like, you, you don't, I did not think about this thing as a single person. I was like, I'll be fine. Like, whatever, it's no big deal. But you have a, you get married, you have to care for that person. You have a child, you got to care even more. Um, and I actually think about this too. You can, uh, the gift of singleness allows you even in this less concern, distraction is even, you can even have more emotional and mental clarity. Now, what I mean by that is, uh, if, you, if any of you got a COVID dog or puppy, Probably, probably worse. Uh, they're great, but they require more time and energy from you. They will distract you at some point during the day. Otherwise, they're peeing and pooping everywhere over your house. It's good that they're distracting you because they're telling you they want to go somewhere. And it sounds funny, but like relationships can be emotionally straining. In fact, some of like, if, if you were to hang out with me like several days a week, you would probably be able to tell pretty quickly which days Sarah and I are fighting. Meaning I just wear it, I can't help it. It sucks the life out of me sometimes when we're fighting because it has such emotional strain on me and on her. It's probably even worse by verse sometimes. So the, the reality is relationships are fun and they're heightened, but they're also, they have experienced, or they, they experience deep uh, amounts of emotional and even mental just uh, exertion. The second thing is that the gift of singleness gives you, and, and this is in Paul's words, uh, more bandwidth to serve the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean like, okay, I'm going to go to a nunnery or I'm going to be a monk. Like, it's not like I devote my whole life to the Lord, like in a monastery. Um, but like, there is a freedom that we don't talk about that is, that is, I think, actually really exciting. Um, and I think about this, like when I was a single guy, um, I left a Christian school not married, which is a terror for anyone. If you're in a Christian school and you don't, you don't get married, you're, you're in trouble. That's what you believe. Like, I'm single forever. Uh, and I just remember how, like, I could literally go out every night of the week whenever I wanted as a young single guy. And no offense to Sarah and Junior, but that is not the case anymore. Um, I'm lucky to get one or two nights out a week, if that, uh, for fun. And it's usually scheduled, and it's usually a specific amount of time after Junior's bedtime or whatever it may be. When you're single, you literally can pick up and help anyone at any time. Somebody needs you like that, you're there. There was a lady in our neighborhood this last week who got stuck in the snow. She was from Mississippi. This is the one time I want to say God bless her. She was from Mississippi, had no idea what she was doing. She was in the snow. Sarah comes home and she's like, hey, I told this girl that I was, you're gonna help go push her out of the snow. I'm in the shower. And, and I'm like, and she's like, yeah, I just you know, hop in the car. I'm like, somebody has to watch Junia. Like, she's getting old, but she's not that old yet. And, uh, and so it's just reality of it. Like, like, it sounds funny, but if Sarah was single, like 
literally could have just stopped and helped her, no problem. Now, could she have pushed the car? I don't know, but, but just the thing that, like, the thing that little things like that, like the freedom that you have is often, um, you don't see the joy of it because you're constantly trying to put yourself up on the gift of marriage. You're trying to see how the gift of marriage is leveraging influence in relationships, whereas in reality, singleness, you will never be as free as you are in singleness. My, one of my really good friends told me, hey, yeah, when you're single, you get, you get four hobbies, maybe, maybe six hobbies if you're really good, and then you get married and you get one, and then you have kids and, well, your hobbies are the ones they want to do. <laughs> and I laughed and I was like, I don't know. And I haven't went fishing in several months. So uh, if that tells you anything. Uh, but it's, it's just true. So whether, whether we can say, okay, like, sure, practically speaking, we have more bandwidth. But I think that if you, if you actually, you hold that gift in your hand, you think about the fruit that can come of it. That's when the gift starts to become a reality. It does not mean that it's not still hard. It does not mean that it's not still different than marriage. But the gift of singleness, if we see it as the gift it is and we steward it as the gift it is, it will, it will bring fruit. It will bring the, the fruit of the spirit that we talk about. Um, and so we can't forget that. So that's, that's uh, 1 Corinthians 7. The second passage we're gonna unpack just a little bit is Matthew 19, if you wanna flip back to there. This one is about talking about eunuchs. If you're wondering, wow, is Trey really gonna go for a eunuch passage here? He is, he is. We're not public yet. We can do whatever we want. Uh, Matthew 19, starting in verse 10. This is, it has some context, but I'm going to kind of run through it because we're running a little bit over, which is fine. Um, Matthew 19, 10. The disciples said to Jesus, if this is the case of a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Context, the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus. Jesus basically just says, like, the weight of marriage is very intentional, very serious, much more than they had thought. And they say that. It's better not to marry then. Verse 11. He said to them, not everyone can accept this statement, except those to whom it has been given. Here we go, verse 12. Some eunuchs who were, who were that way from birth, and some who were made eunuchs by others, and some who became eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept this should accept this. Now, you're probably immediately thinking in your brain, Trey, where are you going with this? <laughs> this is a unique passage because Jesus here is once again taking what we thought was the principle of something and our bare minimum of what we had to do. And he says, yeah, I'm just going to raise the bar like a million times. And the disciples are like, well, wow, we should not be married then if this is the, the weight that it's called us to. And he says, yeah, let me give you an example of some people who you've personally neglected. You've actually ostracized from your church family. And I'm going to tell you they have value in the kingdom of heaven. And actually, in some ways, they're stewarding their gift better than you are. And so he includes these three different types of eunuchs. Now, there's some nerdy context here. Just bear with me, Okay. Eunuchs at this time were not typically present in the Israel, the Jewish worship. They were not, they were excluded. They were not considered to be allowed. Whether they were Jewish or not, they weren't necessarily allowed to partake. So it's almost like if we're like, hey, Marys, come on in, singles, you can wait out by the door and you're not allowed to talk to anyone. That was kind of how it was. And so Jesus here is drawing upon people who were culturally uh, just kind of stiff-armed. And Adam was talking about, I mean, we, better, we, we might not know it, but like sometimes we culturally stiff-arm single people. Um, like even the idea of a triad date is genius, but some, of you are, some people are probably like, that's weird, you know, or whatever. But I'm like, that's the kingdom. Like, that's what we do, you know? Um, so the eunuchs here, uh, I wanna, just want to give you a little bit of explanation on that, just because maybe some of you have not deeply studied eunuchs. <laughs> that was a joke, because I don't think any of you have. <laughs> uh, this is based on Preston Sprinkle's new book. It just came out a couple weeks ago. It's great. It's called Embodied. It's a, that, the leading edge book on transgender, trans asterisk community as well. 
Um, but he says, he defines the term eunuch, the Greek term is eunokos. I don't know, maybe I'm saying it right. Um, but it was used for a variety of people. It could be asexual, no sexual desire. Men who lack secondary male characteristics, like facial hair, deep voice, mainly because they had been castrated before puberty. Um, sexually charged men who were infertile, but not impotent, meaning they could serve wealthy women at the time without risk of pregnancy. They were a hot commodity, I'm sure. Uh, the common denominator out of all of these, though, is that uh, they are males who are infertile, meaning they're not capable of producing spawn, which, like I said, the idol of this time, marriage, so you have legacy. You have kids, so you have legacy. So they could not do that. And uh, Sprinkle says this. He says, in the Jewish culture, nearly all men wanted to get married and father many children. And Jesus uses the eunuch to show that faithfulness is more important than machismo, which is like manliness. Like, and I think that we start to look at this like, okay, the eunuch, like we're onto something here with the eunuchs he's talking about. It's not just like weird and off from left field. So before this, the, the Pharisees are talking about marriage, divorce. They're trying to get grounds for an easier divorce. And, uh, and so Jesus' priority in including them is he's, he's basically saying, hey, the people that you neglect are the people that you need to run towards, the people that I want to honor and I'm going to bring up in conversation, and the people that have immense value in the kingdom. And then Paul comes in 1 Corinthians 7, and he's dealing with uh, people who are, there, there was a lot of heresy going around that like you, sh you shouldn't be married at all if you're a Christian, or you shouldn't get married. And Paul's trying to figure out and navigate all this tension. And so he's speaking to maybe people who have in that instance, never married. He also talks later about widows, who was their husband. Well, then what do they do? Because marriage is this legacy thing. And if a woman is not married at that time, there's several implications. Whereas nowadays, like you could be a single woman and be totally fine. So he brings in these eunuchs. And I, I just want you to know, like these eunuchs that we know we, we don't have eunuchs near like what they do here in this time. It was like more common. Um, that there is, there is the people we least think about, that Jesus is most thinking about, that he brings into and invites into the kingdom of God. And I, I mean, I feel like some single people are just crushing it, and I'm so proud of them, and they're using their gift, and they're like, whether it's hard or easy, they're still like stewarding it well and fighting for it. And there's others who need serious community. They need people to love them well, and we need to be intentional about that. And I think that's, that's, our, that's our reminder and our call even from Adam is like, if we're a church who is a truly a family, what does it look like for us to, to grab people and to bring them into our family in such a way that honors their gift, helps them steward that, uh, but also helps them in, in times of difficulty and wrestling? And so if, I, I think for you personally, you know, there could be a few camps of people who are single willingly, very unwillingly, you know, miserably, I don't know. Um, but in the midst of that, the one thing that I would really be saddened by is if you're single now, let's say you do get married, and you just you look back and you, you realize, I was just miserable that entire time, and I was ungrateful of the gift that had been given to me, and I didn't steward it well at all. Because there's one thing that I've learned being married, even for a little bit of time, and people kept telling me this, was like they always say, like, fix yourself, and then you'll find that one, which is like airless promises. But, but the truth of that is that if you can't, like Adam said, if you can't be content single, you're not going to be content married. Because the contentness that you find, the content, contentness that you find, and the joy that you find, is found in Christ alone. I remember when I was single, and uh, I was addicted to pornography for about four years of my life in high school, and then kind of hit in college. And uh, part of my testimony is really receiving freedom from that. But um, I remember all of my buddies; we were all RAs together, and we just talk all a ton about like 
uh, our RD who was married and we would ask him tons of questions about marriage and sex and he was extremely open, which was, sounds crazy, but was extremely helpful actually. I like think many, like many times about those conversations. But one of the things that we would constantly kind of joke about is like, like once we're married, the burden will be over. Like the lust will be gone, the porn issue will be, the masturbation problem will be no more. And I remember he, he just looked at us like dead-eyed and was like, yeah, that's not, that's not the truth. And we're like, what? Like, your wife is so pretty. Like, that's how guys think, right? Like, your wife's so pretty. You'll be fine. And he just looks at us, and he's like, you guys are idiots. Like, no. And, and I was like, okay, all right. I mean, it's one of those things I just got to see it for myself. I got to believe it. And getting married, you know, it was, it was, it's a blast. It's been a blast. But to, to act like the devil is not still tempting me with pornography and other women and lust is just silly. It is a battle that I will have my entire life in many men's lives, and many, actually 40% of women. So it's a battle that we're going to deal with. So if we don't learn how to create healthy accountability and structure and steward, um, steward the, the relationships, community that we have to help us with that now, good luck then having a wife and then having to tell her when you're struggling as opposed to just hiding it to yourself. I mean, it'll ruin your marriage. So I encourage you in the gift of singleness now, don't, don't see this as a season, whether you're choosing it for a a lifetime, or you're choosing it for a certain season, or you're just trying to figure out where God has you and why, you have a gift. We all have a gift. No matter we're either single, gift of singleness, gift of marriage. Are we going to steward it? Are we going to prayerfully consider how the Spirit can move in this, help us be more like Jesus in this, help us worship God and glorify Him more in this gift? Or are we just going to let culture dictate what we think, and we're just constantly going to be frustrated that we're not where we think we should be? So that's my challenge for you guys, I want to encourage you with this last verse. This is in Revelation. So, um, we, yeah, that's crazy. We'll do a series sometime in Revelation. But uh, it's just a reminder that, that singleness, marriage, they're earthly. The weirdest thing that I remember being married until death do us part and knowing that in eternity we're really not married. I don't know if you ever thought about that. It's so weird. Like, am I going to be in heaven and be like, there's that woman who used to be my wife, you know? I'm going to be like, hey, babe, and like hug, but side hug because it needs to be appropriate. We're not married anymore. I don't know, but, but I, you know, you think about that, but it's, it's the truth because in heaven, we don't, we don't need that because everything we have is from God, which is what he's trying to do now on earth. And he's saying, hey, let's have some symbols that will show you that love that you'll understand here so that you just get a little taste before you're into heaven and that you'll experience the goodness that I have for you, even in the midst of a sin-driven world, that we can give you a marriage as a covenant to show my love for you, that we can have singleness to be able to steward the gifts that I'm giving you in ways that'll impact other people's lives and your friends and family and relationships, coworkers, like, he's not just letting us just live miserably for 85 years on earth and then all of a sudden in heaven. Like, he's giving us opportunities to see his love tangibly on, in, on earth, and it will be an emulation of his love for us individually and corporately in heaven. So in, in Revelation, uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing this, but in chapter 17 and 19, he says, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and a great shout will be heard. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.